Okay, we're in Proverbs chapter 3, lesson 5. And what we're going to look at today is the benefits of wisdom. The benefits. How does wisdom benefit you and I? So I want us to notice, first of all, verses 1 to 12, as he talks about the blessings of wisdom. The blessings of wisdom. Verses 1 to 12. Notice with me. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For the length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in, in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Okay, so let's take a look here. We're going to look at the blessings of wisdom. And, and, and first of all, in the first four verses, Solomon again starts out with an appeal for his son. He wants to, his son to pay attention. So I want you to notice, the son is urged to listen to the instruction of his father. The son is urged to listen to the instruction of his father. And now what you're going to see here is that he's going to do a little bit of parallelism. So like, for instance, verse 1, he'll tell him, look, don't forget my law. Let your heart keep my commands. Then notice verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. He's basically saying the same thing in those two verses. And what he's saying there is, is he's saying to, the, to his son, who's probably Rehoboam, listen to my instructions. Listen to the wisdom I'm imparting to you. Because again, let me ask you something. When you're young and you're a 20-year-old, how much do you want to listen to your parents at that point? I hear mumbling. How much do you want to hear? Not at all. In fact, when you're, when you're 20, do you think you know everything? Uh, again, mumbling. Yes, okay. And what do you think about your parents' advice at that point? One ear and out the other. One ear and out the other, okay. Do you view it as worthless then? Or did you know better? I mean, let's get some honest answers here. Think about when you were 20. They, they, they're behind the times, okay? They don't, I know more than they do type thing. Old fashioned, okay? See, and this is why, listen now, because we've noticed now several times now, Solomon is continuing to repeat the same thing over to his son. Listen to me. Heed my instructions. Pay attention to me. Why? Because he's dealing with a young man. Who's dealing with a young man who, quote, is sprouting his own wings. And he's going to do what he wants to do. But reality is, is this. When you're 20, are you mature? No, you, you don't think you're mature. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. When you're 40... 
You're not mature. Do you, you, you know what I mean? Because the reason is, is you're not mature until you get really old. 120. Okay. Because at that point, you've experienced life. You've experienced life. And so as a 20-year-old, how much experiences of life have you gone through? Oh, you maybe have had some different, different, difficult situations happen in your life. But have you really experienced life at 20? No. No. And so that's what his point is. is he's trying to get Solomon, to, his son, to listen to the instructions. Why? Why has he wanted to listen? That's the next thing. By listening to his father, he will have longevity and prosperity. By listening to his father, he will have longevity and prosperity. Notice what verse 2 says. For the days of life, for, for the length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. There he's talking about longevity. And then look at verse 4. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. There is prosperity. There is prosperity. See, if you listen to the words of instruction of wisdom that others are wanting to impart to you, those who are older, who are more mature, who see things, because they've been around the block a few times, they've been beat up, and they're imparting to you wisdom to help you out. It's going to add longevity to your life as well as what? Prosperity. Now you say, how in the world is that going to add prosperity? Well, if, I, if Tom's getting ready... Well, Tom's not a good illustration because he's older than me. Okay. <laughs> Let me pick on one of these guys over here. Gary's younger than me. Yeah, okay. All right. If I see Gary, and I like picking on Gary, okay. If I see Gary getting ready to do something, and I know that he's heading down a path that he's going to pay a price for, and if I go to him and say, Gary, I've been down that road. Listen to me. Don't do this. You need to do this instead. If he chooses to follow what I'm sharing with him, he's not going to pay the price. But if he ignores me, if he ignores wisdom, what happens to him? He's going to reap the consequences of not listening to wisdom. Not listening to wisdom. And so that's the point. He's saying if you heed wisdom, it's going to add to your life. And we can all think of different things. You know, we've had wise folks tell us not to do this, not to do that. And now you know because you listen to the radio that those things that you were told not to do that you did instead are killing you. They're taken away from your life. So it, it, either way, if you listen to wisdom, it's going to add days to your life. And it's going to what? Help you in your prosperity. Help you in your prosperity. So I want you to see that. So then look at verses 5 to 6. Now these, these are familiar verses that a lot of you have quoted before. How many of you are familiar with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? A lot of us are, are we not? Okay. You, you've learned them in Sunday school and so forth. And here is a call, after telling him to listen to his instructions, he now moves over, let's look at the context of what he's saying here, he now moves over and he tells his son, trust God. Don't just listen to my instructions, you need to trust God. So notice what he says, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, 
And lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. So, first of all, notice, the Son is called to trust in God by not relying on His own understanding. The Son is called to trust in God. Now, here's how what we do. You would come to me, and I'm facing a situation, and you say, well, George, you just need to trust God. Yeah, I'm trusting God, but I'm also trying to figure it out on my own. Because God gave me a brain. As long as He gave me a brain, He gave me a brain to use it to figure out what I need to do. How many of you have heard that type of thing before? God gave me a brain. Is that what Proverbs 5 and 6 are saying? No. It calls me to trust God, but don't lean on my own understanding. Now, when I'm trusting God, what ultimately am I trusting in? Anyone? Okay, that's good. You're heading in the right direction, Tom. He said guidance. But where do I get my guidance from? Holy Spirit, that's, again, heading in the right direction. But what does the Holy Spirit use? You said it, Art. Yeah, the Word of God. See, I'm not to lean on my own understanding, but I am to trust God and rely upon what His Word tells me to do in certain circumstances, to guide me. Because ultimately, His Word is what? Wisdom. His Word is wisdom. And so I'm not going to rely on my own understanding, because here's the thing. When you face a circumstance, do you know everything there is to know about the circumstance that you're facing? Can you see everything? Especially when you're dealing with people. Can you think, find out what's in their brain? Now, I, think, I know some of you married folks think you know your spouse is what's going on in their brain, but you don't. Okay? Well, I've been with them a long time. I know. No, no, they'll surprise you. Okay, so you, can't, you don't know everything. So when you try to rely on your own understanding and you don't know everything, what's wrong with that? When you're trying to go by your own understanding in a circumstance and you don't know everything that's happening in the circumstance, what's wrong with that? Yeah, it's easy to make mistake. In fact, you're just kind of like stabbing in the darkness at a solution. You're running blind. You don't really know. You're like, okay, I'm going to head in this direction. Let's see what happens. Because you don't know everything. Now, let me ask a question. Who does know everything? God does. That's right, Ken. God does. He knows everything. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything. He knows even the outcome. Do you think it would be better to listen to the person who knows everything? Then listen to my, my, my thoughts, my understanding? In fact, let me just be honest with you. Your understanding can get clouded. You say, how can it get clouded? Well, let's say you went through a similar circumstance before. Now you're like, I'm not going to go down that road again. Even though it might be different, and chances are it is different, you're going to respond based upon your last experience. Or you're going to, your judgment may be clouded by emotion. Because you're ticked off at whoever, because of what somebody happened to you before. See, I see this all the time in marriage relationships. 
I see this all the time in marriage, especially in blended marriage relationships where uh, there's a divorce involved. And even though you talk to them and you tell them, you know, what they're facing is normal, and you know what, when you enter into that marriage relationship, you're bringing the experiences of your last marriage into that marriage, they say, oh no, it'll be different. Then guess what? A year down the road, he's acting just like he did. Or they think he's acting just like he did. Or they think she's acting that way. Why? Because they're looking at everything from their own understanding, which now has been clouded by their experiences, their emotions. See, you and I are to trust in God and not rely on our own understanding because I'll be honest with you, our own understanding is what? Mixed up. Mixed up. So, let's go on. Then he says, a person, again, a person acknowledges the Lord in his life. As a person acknowledges the Lord in his life, he finds that God will give guidance. In all your ways, acknowledge him, verse 6 says, and he shall direct your paths. You need to come to the place where you say, Lord, I'm not going to live by my own understanding. I'm not going to live by my own thinking on this. You guide me. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If you're sincere in doing that, because the issue is sincerity. If you're sincere, he will guide you. He will guide you. And he'll guide you in your own personal time with him. He'll guide you in your own personal time with him as you read his word. So then, notice now verse 7 and 8. We're going to talk about your wisdom and the fear of God. So notice now, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Here's what he's saying. The son is called not to see himself as wise, but rather he should fear God. The son is called not to see himself as wise, but rather he should fear God. Listen, that's a, you know what? You can get to the place, and it's real easy. I can get there, you can get there, because pride helps us get there. And the issue is pride. That we can get to the place where we think, I know it all. I have arrived. I have experienced everything that life has to throw at me. And I have survived. I'm a survivor. And I can handle it. And you can begin to see yourself as wise in your own eyes. Now, what you're going to find is, as we go through Proverbs, Proverbs is going to say, if you think you're wise in your own eyes, you're actually a fool. You're actually simple. So what he's telling his son is, and he's telling you and I is, is don't look at yourself and say, oh, man, I'm smart. Because that's pride. But rather, fear God. Fear the one who is in control. Fear the one who gives you every day. Fear the one who... We'll help you. Hey, I have to share this with you. This is one of my Haiti stories I'll share with you. It really doesn't have anything to do with Haiti. It has to do with me. I don't know what it is, but as I'm getting older, I don't like flying. I used to fly all the time. And, you know, one time when I worked for the airlines, you'd go flying because you got a free ticket. Don't know where you're going, but you go flying. Okay? So, here's the point. Now, I don't know, ever since September 11th, and the fact that now that I'm 41 and I have four kids and a wife, I'm on the plane, and I'm praying the Lord's Prayer 
And I'm like, okay, Lord, I commit myself into your hand. Why am I doing that? Because I recognize now, as I'm getting older, that life is fragile. And I want to come home. And I'm learning to fear God with every moment of my life, especially when I'm on an airplane and it's one of these banana things with uh, with a with a prop and a uh, you know. And and Rod will tell you when we came down into Cape Haitian, it did what? No, it was in Fort Lauderdale. It did what? Bumped around and it was like, holy moly, what are we doing here? And it's not a jet. It's one of these prop plane things, you know, 17 seat things. And it's like, holy cow! And some woman's Whatever she came, big jug comes flying down the aisle, you know. Yeah, she started screaming too, yeah. <laughs> she was Haitian. So so you, you start getting nervous about stuff and you start learning to fear God and you don't find yourself as being wise in your own eyes anymore. See, that's what he's saying. And see, the result is, if I do that, if I quit seeing myself as wise and I begin to fear God, the result is this. Spiritual and physical wellness. That's what he's saying. There's physical and spiritual wellness if I begin to quit looking at myself. There's spiritual wellness there. Physical wellness. Then he gets into verse 9 and 10 and he's going to talk about honoring God with your possessions. So look with me at uh, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And what we're going to look at here is not anything different than what we have looked at before, especially when we went through 2 Corinthians, which was the lesson we looked at before this. And that's and his saying is this. The Son is to honor God with the first fruits of all that he has. Look, you and I are to honor God with our first fruits. Of all that we have. Of what God gives you. Honor him with it. Now, immediately when I say that, immediately somebody starts thinking, well, this is what he's talking about. The plate. Now, that is an aspect of it. However, that's not all he's talking about. If you read all of Scripture, that is not all there is to honoring God with the first fruits of your thing. Honoring God with the first fruits of what you have is is that you make available to Him the resources that you have for His ministry. So, for instance, you might be sitting here in church and God gives you, the Holy Spirit reveals to you that somebody across the aisle has a need you have the resources to, to be used of God in that person's life. That's honoring God with the first fruits of your resources. Is making available what you have to serve others. To serve the church and to serve others in the church. That's what he's talking about. Now, thankfully, you know what? I've seen people doing that in our church and I think that's wonderful. Keep doing it. Because what that reveals is, is that you're holding on loosely to the things of this world. Holding on loosely. Because what in our culture, we want to all hold on to stuff, don't we? We want to hold on to stuff. In fact, I'd like, I'm going to surprise you sometimes and come visit you. Oh no. Yeah, and I want you to take me to your attic. Show me the stuff you got stored in your attic. And then I'm going to say, so why is this here? 
you probably don't even know why it's there. You know, and, and the point is, is that we hold on to stuff. What he's talking about here is a general principle of wisdom that you hold on loosely and honor God with what you have. Why do I do that? Because here's what he says. In doing so, the son will experience the blessing of God. Remember over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, and 10, Paul was telling the Corinthians that the Macedonians were giving out of their poverty and God was blessing them and he encouraged them to give and then he gave some general principles and the general principle he gave was this, is that God gives you what you need to give to others and as you give, he blesses you so that you can give more. I've heard Chuck Swindoll say this. The reason why there aren't too many Christian millionaires is because there aren't too many Christians who give freely. They give out of obligation. But they don't give freely to God and His ministry and His work. Not just to the church, but to helping other people. See, God will bless you. God will bless you if you're available to help others. If you're available to help others. Now, then verses 10 and 11, excuse me, 11 and 12 He's going to talk about chastisement. That's that subject that we don't like to hear about, but let's notice what he says. The son is not to reject the chastisement of God because it comes from his love. Listen, can I be honest with you? God's going to take you and me to the woodshed. Do everybody understand what I mean by the woodshed? He's going to take us out behind the woodshed and paddle us because of the things we do in life that are not pleasing to Him. Now, we can respond to God's chastisement in one of two ways. We can respond with anger and say, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And some people respond that way. Actually, a lot of people respond that way. Or, you can respond by recognizing that God is taking you to the woodshed out of His love. He is bringing corporal punishment into your life, whatever form it might be, out of love for you, so that you're heading in the right direction. Yes. I think the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit would show to say to you. A lot of times when you go through chastisement because of the stuff in your life, you know. I mean, God's going to tell you, and I think immediately you're going to think about, well, you know, I'm not doing right in this area. It seems to be too much of a coincidence here. So yeah, I think so, you, I think you'll know because the whole and, and if you don't know and you're wondering if it's because sometimes when we go through stuff here let me let me put it to you this way Henry Blackaby once said it this way quit blaming stuff on the devil I'm being attacked no maybe you're being chastised Henry Blackaby would say so then what you need to do is say okay Lord am I going through a period of chastisement here am I am I being punished for something in my life Holy Spirit, reveal it to me. And you know what? If you sincerely want to know what it is, He will reveal it to you. The issue is, again, again, sincerity. You've got to be sincere in your Christian life. The Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. Now, a lot of times when you go through stuff, it doesn't have to be chastisement. It could simply just be testing. Remember Job. Or it could be to keep you humble. Remember Paul. You know, so that he wouldn't be exalted above measure because of the abundance of all the revelations he received about God, God gave him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. 
Some of it just simply may be the suffering of this life. So, I mean, really, to be honest with you, the key to knowing whether or not it's chastisement is to, first of all, check your sin list. And we all have them, don't we? And you know what? Here's how loving God is. God's just not going to let you continue on in your sin. He's going to... Like, for instance, if you saw a bad behavior in your child and you know that they're not doing right, are you just going to let them continue on doing that? Are you? No. Why? Because when they get older, that little behavior becomes what? A nightmare down the road. And a loving parent will try to correct and mold the character, because that's what we're talking about is molding character. Will mold the character so that he doesn't continue doing that. See, that's what God's trying to do when he chastises us. He's not just out to whip you. He's out to mold your character. He's out to mold you to keep you from that behavior. Because he loves you. Okay? Because he loves you. So, okay. So then notice now, verses 13 through 20, the high value of wisdom. The high value of wisdom. And then we'll look at these as we go through. Look, first of all, at verse 13 through 15, we're going to see wisdom's benefit. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. A man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. So again, notice something, just before we give you the point here. Notice how he's describing wisdom again. He describes wisdom as what? A man? A woman. Remember, I said to you this two weeks ago when we were here, that wisdom is to be pursued. Just like a woman needs to be pursued. Just like a woman. Some of you guys are married. You quit pursuing. You need to start pursuing again. You'd be surprised what will happen if you start pursuing again. And, and wisdom is like that. You need to pursue wisdom. Pursue it. And so notice the blessing of it. Wisdom gives the hearer something that far exceeds what the world has to offer. Listen. Listen to the guy who's writing this. He knows. How would you describe Solomon? Was he a poor boy? Was he? No. He had everything, literally. If you could think about money, he had all the money. I mean, you think about Bill Gates, and I think there's some Mexican guy down in Mexico now who even has 60-some billion dollars. Bill Gates, 43 billion. Warren Buffett, he was up there, except he gave away 80% of what he had. So, you think about those guys... In the billions, Solomon had even more. In comparison, he had even more. So here's a guy who had everything. Wives, 700 wives. Now you would say that's not wisdom. That's true. But, but he had everything. So listen, notice what he's saying here. This is why you've got to listen to what he's saying. This is the guy who's had everything. And he says, what? Wisdom gives you something that exceeds far exceeds what the world has to offer. The world has a lot to offer, but it's all empty. The world has a lot to offer, but it's all empty. For instance, young people, you'll think that marriage is it. Oh, I can't wait till I get married. Can't wait till I get married. Can't wait till I get married. Then you get married. Can't wait till I have kids. Can't wait till I have kids. Then you have kids. What is there next? Everything we think of, well, then you get older, you're like, 
Can't wait till I get a new sports car or get this or that or another. And does it bring the satisfaction that we think it'll bring? Does it? No. Never. In fact, it brings with it a whole new set of what? Problems. Problems. He's trying to tell us something here. He's trying to tell us, look, don't look at what the world has to offer. The world's got a lot to offer. But it's empty. It's empty. It's empty. Kind of reminds me, you know, some of you I shared this story about our honeymoon. You know, we can look at a brochure and say, Ooh, Cozumel, wonderful, snorkeling, everything. Then you go. You get Montezuma's Revenge. Do you know what I'm saying? They didn't put that in the brochure. Do you know what I'm saying? You never see that in the brochure. It doesn't even say, bring your Imodium AD. Do you see? Wisdom has a lot more to offer than what the world has to offer. Wisdom has a lot more to offer than what the world has to offer. Then notice verse 16 and 18. Notice what he says here. The length of days is in her right hand, and in her left are riches and honor. She is the tree of life to those who take hold of her. Excuse me. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. She is the tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. So notice now what he's saying here. The generosity of wisdom. Wisdom gives with both hands generously. You want prosperity? Seek wisdom. You want health? Seek wisdom. And she'll give it to you generously. Wisdom gives it to you generously. But you've got to heed wisdom. You've got to heed wisdom. See, what we want is, we want the fast buck. If we don't have it like that, forget it. I'm not going to, you know... Pursuing wisdom takes time and effort. It takes energy to pursue wisdom. Nobody wants to pursue wisdom anymore. We want, we want to buy the winning ticket the first time that gets us the million. Hey, can I be honest with you? Those of you who buy tickets here, and I know you do, those of you who buy tickets, I'm praying you don't get it. Why? Because statistics show 7 out of 10 of those who win end up in financial ruin. They lose their families. They lose their friends. They lose everything. And they won the millions. So what does that mean? Quit buying the tickets. Put that in the savings account. Because if you win, you bought more than you bargained for. See, wisdom, see, that's what we want. We want fast everything. We get irritated, and I get irritated at McDonald's. I'm sorry, I know you work there. Okay. And I go through the drive-thru and I order my burger, and they say, pull over there. This is the drive-thru. See, we've conditioned ourselves to think what? Now, now, now. But that's not wisdom. Wisdom comes what? Gradually. And wisdom tells you to work. Wisdom tells you to expend energy. And wisdom says, if you do that, if you pursue me, I've got 
prosperity in this hand. I've got generosity in this hand. They're yours. They're yours. You've got to pursue it. Then notice now, again, he says, she gives... She gives longevity, riches, and more that provide a quality life. She gives longevity, riches, and more that provide a quality life. Okay, we're going to go over one more point, and that's in verse 19 to 20, and then we're going to stop. We'll go through the last part of chapter 3 next week. Notice with me verse 19 and 20. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth... By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and the clouds dropped down the dew. Here's the wisdom and knowledge of God. Notice what he says here. It is thorough knowledge. It it is through knowledge and understanding that God created the heavens and earth. It just didn't happen. Just didn't happen. Just didn't happen. In fact, the kids have a Ken Ham video. Remember Ken Ham? We watched him, Answers in Genesis. Remember Sunday school? We watched him. And he was talking about evolution and how silly evolution is. And he was talking about a kangaroo. A kangaroo, you know, has a pouch. And when she gives birth to her, uh, to a joey, I think is what it's called, it then travels up into the pouch. And he said, now, if you think about evolution, how many billions of times did they have to get it right before they figured out what to do? Before the animal figured out what to do. But he said, God created immediately so they would know what to do. Evolution says it's all trial and error. And so finally, one of them finally figured it out, and then they were able to go on from there. See, God, when He created, He did it through what? Knowledge and understanding. Everything is set in motion. Everything is coded the right way. God is in control. Hey, interesting statistic. I'll just share with you, since we're talking about the evolution creation thing for a moment. 43% of Americans, 43% of Americans believe that God created. Period. 38% believe God created maybe over a period of time. Only 14% believe that God didn't have anything to do with creation. Isn't that an interesting statistic for the United States? Even though it is the only thing taught in our schools, more than 80% of Americans, what? Believe God created in some way. And that's because He did. We know that in our hearts. We know that in our hearts. Isn't it interesting, 14%? That's about the number of people who don't believe in God. They don't want to have anything to do with God. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to look at the value of wisdom in building relationships with others. So wisdom has a part in building our relationships with others. And uh, we're going to look at that section next week. And specifically, verse 27 through 35, he's going to talk about five sayings concerning relationships. Five sayings concerning relationships. Okay, let's get it ready for our morning worship service.